Hey, hey, any youth leaders out there? Yep, serving with youth in the church is probably one of the most enjoyable callings, but it brings with it a lot of responsibility. How do we effectively lead this rising generation? Well, I have good news for you. Leading Saints has organized the Young Saints Virtual Library, where we have 20 plus hours of presentations all about how to lead youth. We cover topics like how to help youth transition into adulthood, how to help them avoid loneliness, how to handle smartphones in class, and we even go over scientific data about how Latter-day Saint youth differ from other youth. If you'd like to review the Young Saints Library at no cost for 14 days, simply go to leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. While you're at it, we'll give you access to all of our virtual libraries that cover several leadership-related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org slash one four. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast today is, uh, man, I, such an opportunity to welcome in Bronco Mendenhall. How are you, Bronco? I'm great. How about you? Very good. This was a fun interview and, and we talk about everything from your time uh, working with horses as a boy to developing young men as, as a college football coach. But maybe for those that don't aren't familiar with you, they've lived under a rock and never heard of BYU football, put yourself into context. Also, my, my name is Bronco Mendenhall. I came to BYU as an assistant coach under former coach Gary Croton. I was the defensive coordinator for three years and then I became the head coach for 11 seasons. So maybe I was the defensive coordinator for two years. I ought to know, but I don't. Anyway, I was at BYU for 13 years, 11 as the head coach. I then left Brigham Young University, became the head coach at the University of Virginia for the past six years. So my life has been the work of college football, but really the work of developing young men through college football and hopefully serving as an ambassador for our faith and solid member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And recent podcaster, right? You've joined the the squad here of, of podcasters. You, you're the, I don't know if you you call yourself the host or one of the co-hosts of <laughs> Head Coach You, right? Did I say it right? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm the host either. So there is a host, Brian Fisher. I started as being an interviewee and now I think co-host is probably what I am. Oh, and good. anyway, we love to teach amazing lessons from football leaders that might apply to family leaders, church leaders, but just anyone that wants to help young people grow and develop. And I thought that'd be a good use of our time or my time right now as I pause my football career for this season. Awesome. Well, let's jump into it. Here's my interview with Bronco Mendenhall. So Bronco, what is it like, you know, you've been coaching so long for so many seasons and now you have your first fall season where you're not a coach, you don't have any responsibilities uh, for football and whatnot. I mean, what, what's your fall been like so far? <laughs> Man, that's going to test my vocabulary. So I, <laughs> if we go backstory, I've been a head coach for 17 years, all at mm-hmm. the division one level and an assistant or head coach, I think for 34 years is what the number is. However, I was playing football from kindergarten on and so this is my first open fall since I was like six, six years old. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and what I've realized is people still have like regular lives in the fall. And yeah. most folks, what I've learned is college football is just a TV program. They click it on and click it off and then the rest of life is still going. Yeah, so, it's an outlet for wow. when we're busy in the fall. We need, yeah. we need to disconnect on Saturdays, right? And something to look forward to and just to be, you know, unite around and rally. But it's been really interesting for me to have the perspective of for most of the world, 
the outcome of a specific game is totally irrelevant. Now, that's not to their fan base, not to the alumni, right? Not to the mm-hmm. that given specific group, but to most of the world, it doesn't change the course trajectory <laughs> like yeah. one bit. So perspective has really been added and it's been really fun. Really, the games that I watch, which I hardly ever watch games because I was doing my own, the games that I watch in the NFL, it's my former players, right? Any of those guys that mm-hmm. are whatever teams they're playing on, which is so fun. And then my staff members, which I've had with me for so long. And now as they've kind of been launched at these different places, I follow them and their teams. And I guess ultimately, when you ask me what it's been like, what's lasting are the people. And so what I'm drawn to on Saturdays isn't a specific school or isn't a specific location. It's the specific people. And that's been a great perspective just as to, I don't know, maybe what what and why we're doing whatever we're doing within our families, right? Within our church assignments, within our professional life. Yeah, there's the bottom line. We all know that. However, the how we do or how we get to the bottom line is ultimately where all the, the real meaning and memories are. And so that's kind of been reinforced back to the question of, so how is it? It's, yeah, the people are everything. Yeah. And so do you find yourself on, on the phone a lot with uh, some of those former staff members as they're assessing the coming uh, opponent? Or So, no. It, in <laughs> season, the phone, like you just, the only people you're talking to are recruits. There's oh, no other to. time between managing your own team, getting ready for the upcoming game, your family, right? And carving in as much time as you can for them. And then the recruits are ever present, right? And it's a lot of times you're home and it, you're on the phone and your family's looking at you like, are you here? Are you there? Like what? So hardly ever phone calls, but texting, emojis, like whatever the most efficient way to communicate with as little a time and as few a words, that's kind of how you do it. So each one of us, we have kind of an emoji relationship with each other and it's a little (laughs) bit different. So, you know, I might send a cowboy hat to one guy and he's firing me back with fireworks and, but we both know what that means. So (laughs) you haven't actually do any typing whatsoever. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Now, obviously, you know, many were, I guess uh, caught by surprise when you decided to step down as the head coach of uh, University of Virginia football. And obviously, you know, being a Latter-day Saint who has, you know, a deep faith and conviction and prayer and and seeking uh, spiritual direction. uh, What did you learn through that process or what principles did you implement as you were going through that, that process? Like, what did it feel like? How did you know, like, well, actually this is leading to a significant decision. I'll try to articulate it. it. It's difficult. Yeah, to explain exactly. But I've, I've had a lot of speaking and fireside opportunities. Well, I always had, but in this, yeah. in this past eight or nine months, I've had more and more of those. And I've tried to share what that moment was like or the culmination of moments that, that led to that. And so I'll work maybe not in chronological order, but I'll start maybe with the principle. And mm-hmm. this is one of the things I've been sharing that's really changed my life. And maybe your listeners will experiment or try this out. Maybe not, but I am going to share what I've been doing and it's really helped. Wow. Does it take courage? And Mm. courage, I think is rooted in faith. Faith is rooted in belief. And so I just, the point is I have promptings now, which we know are still and small and subtle, and you have to be making space for them, right? Where you can register and hear or feel. It's become my practice to answer out loud. Mm. And so I say, Okay, I will. That's my phrase. Nice. Like when, verbally, like out loud. Out loud. Yeah. No matter where yeah. I am. Yeah. Could it be awkward? Not really, because it's two sentences, you know, or, or one sentence run together based on your grammar. So 
I say when I have a prompting to live in a manner, first of all, to receive promptings frequently. That's an entire lifetime and skill to develop and devote your life to. And nothing more meaningful in my in my mind than to have the presence of our companion and guide and comforter. And how could there ever be a wrong decision if you are in tune, listen and follow? So I've worked really hard, not perfectly, to live that way. And when promptings come, once recognized, I say, okay, I will. And that has committed me. Number one, it's verified that I heard, right? That wasn't explained away. Sometimes after a killer fireside, you'll go out in the parking lot after the fireside and it's like, did we just, you almost forget the whole hour you were just in there. Yeah. And, you know, there's kids racing around, their music's blaring and conversation and there's traffic and the world is just there. When I answer out loud, it solidifies and anchors, yes, I heard that. And this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then I act. That in and of itself, wow, has there been some pretty wild course corrections along the way that were unexpected, I think for many, yet confirmed to me. And that's part of that process. There were professional considerations, family considerations, overarching all of that and directing it, though, were spiritual considerations. And that is the most profound kind of direction you could receive. Polly and I had been, and I say collectively because we've been married 25, but head coaches, and it is a team for 17 years. That's all we've known. For the first time, my kids are all gone. Two on missions currently, one as a junior at BYU, and so we're empty nesters. That coincided with the end of this last season. I did not see another window of time where we could truly renew, reassess, reconsider, reunite, and re-become. If any of those are words, I just got to put re in front of of any regular word. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see a window that would ever match that, as well as partnering on setting up some infrastructure for chapter two in our lives. And with confirmation, because this is a podcast where I can speak, like that. Yeah, please. That's what I chose. Surprised yeah. everyone, including my wife. However, necessary and impactful and the clarity that's come has been essential. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to put oh, yeah. scary as well, even though faith, right? Even though courage to say that there were there wasn't anxiety and there wasn't fear. And this idea that fear and faith can't exist at the same time, there's a sliding scale to me. The stronger your faith is, the less fear, Right. But I do think they can exist. The idea is, can you develop your faith so strong there's no room for fear? But there's been some anxiety. There's been some fear. There's been some uncertainty. There's also been lots and lots and lots of faith and strengthening and partnership between my wife and I in a setting and a time frame that we've never had since we've been married, which I just couldn't think of as you consider becoming eventually grandparents. And I think Joy D. Jones said, eternity is the wrong thing to be wrong about. Who better reconsider our future with, not only for this life, but the future, then my wife and I just to have a little more time to say, what do we really want this to look like? Not in between games, not in between recruiting trips, not in between, you know, conventions or speaking engagements, but just for this window, let's be intentional. Yeah. And there's a lot in this, uh, in the leading saints audience that, you know, that they're in a busy stage of their career, right? Whether they're in a demanding job and then they have, you know, maybe a bishop assignment on top of that or being a stake president or relief study president. And I know that many struggle with this feeling of, you know, when I was called a stake president, I sort of gave my commitment of nine years and 
but now I'm feeling this pull to to move out of state or, you know, and so we we wrestle with these things because we don't want to make the wrong decision, nor do we want to, you know, disappoint God or whatever he's asked us to do. And so it can be heavy to make these decisions, right? Well, it, it is heavy. And when things are heavy, where better to turn than someone that will make our yoke light? Yeah. And partnering with our Father in heaven and our Savior is the only way, no, it's the most effective way to make lasting decisions that have eternal consequences or significant consequences for for lives and family and children, et cetera. And that's, I know many aren't in the position to pause like I did. However, what I've learned and what I was taught is that scheduled events happen more than non-scheduled events. And so for those that have so much going on every single day, my calendar is color-coded, meaning that faith is a light brown on my calendar. My football work is red. My fitness is yellow. My family is purple. And so on any given day, I can look at my calendar, not only to see what it looks like, Mm. but is my life represented in a way that I want it to be represented? And so when someone's as busy as most everyone is with not only their families, but their business or their et cetera and their faith, when something's scheduled, okay, I will, right? When something's scheduled, let's say it's at 637 till 745 a.m., and that says scriptures, or that says renewal, or that says whatever it says, the likelihood that that's going to happen, not the length of time, but the likelihood sometime of some important part of your life, there's something that it's devoted to, it's going to happen at a way higher rate. And so my, my advice, if I'm able to give advice, as you look through with so many competing interests, does your calendar reflect your priorities? Not by time, but simply by category. And if that category is not represented when it's professed to be most important, Mm -hmm. that's an important thing. When it's professed to be most important, if there's not something calendar-wise every day, regardless of how long, then it's probably not in alignment. And then it's hard to grow when something's important and it's not scheduled and time being devoted. No matter how busy we are, I just can't accept that there isn't 15 minutes. I Mm -hmm. can't accept that there's not five minutes. There's some way, somehow, on a daily basis that time can be spent. And so back to your point, which is I think what you're asking with so many things and move out of state or nine years, the best way with those priorities to be considered deeply for promptings to come, for advice to be qualified for, is for that priority to be acknowledged by our time on a daily basis. And it's amazing by that simple commitment that the answers, I think, come more readily, more easily, and are more discernible. Yeah. What other perspective could you give as far as this importance of just pausing, maybe in the middle of, of a career or a busy life? Yeah, I was talking to my dad the other day, and I, and I was articulating to him, you know, I, I just turned 40, and I was like, man, I think now just being 40 is just more busy. But and then I, I said to him, well, actually, I don't know what it was like being 40 when you were 40. Maybe you felt the same way. But there is this feeling of like, there's just you know, you always got to stay, stay a step ahead. You can, you know, maybe somebody's going up the the corporate ladder and they don't want to, they don't want to pause or do these things. But what have you learned as far as the importance of pausing and reflecting when it seems like your career is headed in a positive direction? Yeah, I appreciate the question. And it's a challenging one. There was a positive trajectory and there is. However, I wasn't solely responsible for that. Mm. That perspective has been very helpful to me. Mm, yeah. If we adhere to this idea that we can be instruments in our Father in Heaven's hands, if we've been blessed with talents and our job is to magnify those, then you can simply ask for what reason? I would magnify those for whose benefit. And 
a pause, and this could be in a day as well, right? Pausing, making time to be prompted, pausing to feel the spirit, pausing just to think for a moment. And some people call it meditation. Whatever name that is associated with that, what the pause has done for me, the way that I've tried to describe it, and I haven't found a better way to describe it yet, so I'm going to use the same analogy. If you and I, let's say, and our families were were climbing Everest, there's a base camp at the bottom, and we've already made all the preparations we think in our fitness level and our packs and the route and the organization and the weather and anything that we could think of, we will have been diligent that way. That's the same for football games. And then the game starts, and I haven't had one in 34 years or 17 years of being a head coach that's gone according to script. Not one. <laughs> Meaning the minute it starts, the journey or the game, there's adaptations and adjustments that are being made in real time, almost every play. That would be almost yeah. every step along the journey. So anyway, we're, let's say I'm, we're back on this family journey up Everest, and we're adjusting and adapting to all the different things that are a little bit different than what we thought they were going to be. And that takes its toll, right? Not only besides going and exploring and doing, but the uncertainty and the unexpected. Sometimes it's nice, especially on a day where there's bad weather, to get everyone together. And we're not climbing today. We're going to relook at our rations. We're going to do first aid and make sure everyone's good. We're going to check our jackets and our tents and the zippers. And, and then we're going to reassess what speed can we go to finish and who's in, who really wants to do this. And then it's almost as if it's a new journey with a renewed energy and a more experienced plan than what you would have had to start. Or you can just keep stepping, which a lot of times has value as well. My argument would be sometimes a pause will accelerate outcome, the desired outcomes of most import rather than just stepping. And sometimes that has total value of just stepping and just continuing to go. And so I think we have to be careful of context here. On a broader perspective, sometimes a pause accelerates the journey, the outcome, and the result. And how can you know? The promptings are the only way I know how to know when to keep stepping and when just to hold on a second. Is yeah. there a better path here? Did we make a wrong turn? Wait, wait, you know, is this the right team? Is this, you know, so those, those questions come in. And so, but I think promptings are the only way you can sort that out and qualifying for them is our life's pursuit. Yeah. Oh, that's so helpful. So helpful. Just that concept of a pause can help with accelerating. And even in organizations, I'm thinking, you know, sometimes in, in church leadership, there's this feeling of like, you know, every Sunday you're sort of just beating the drum of ministering or, or service or this or that. But if you can create that every once in a while, maybe, you know, according to prompting sort of this pause, like maybe we're just going to be still for a moment and just appreciate who we are and what we're doing. I really like what you said, because it was a combination of just continuing on mm -hmm. with the occasional pause. Yeah. And, and I think right? That sweet spot is what we're after. And within families, you know, maybe Sunday is that correlation meeting where there's the pause and you're looking at each, the husband and wife and the kids, each one of their trajectories. And, you know, one week at a time, it's like, okay, hold on a second. We're pausing here. You might've gone left on Tuesday and it looks like you got to go right, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and so I think Sundays could be the day or the weekly pause and maybe around the dinner table for any families that can battle to do that or maybe in the mornings before everyone goes off, just a course verification. My dad always used to, I could never leave the house growing up, not once. And I don't know how he had a that parent superpower thing. <laughs> he would say, remember who you are and what you stand for. I could not leave the house without that. And that was his way 
of almost like going to the bowling alley and you put the bumpers in so you can't go in the gutter, right? Like those words, I think, were his were his way of making sure there's bumpers. So I, if I drifted at all, remember who you are and what you stand for. And I would just, oh yeah, wait, before I'd hit the side, yeah, I, okay, I got to go back. And so I think there's little pauses daily you can take, but I like the idea of Sunday kind of being a coordinated pause for the family. Like you're in the tent and snowing outside, and you know, you still got to get to the summit, but you're just checking on everyone and just like, okay, we're seeing this route, but we think this one is everybody in. And, you know, yeah. I think that's a, a cool way to do it. Nice. I, I love that. I have a few questions of some of your mentors, but one, uh, you know, you mentioned your your father. Um, I'm curious just what your your upbringing was like as far as the of, of preparing you to be a leader that would be a coach someday. I mean, what did your father teach you about leadership or about uh, the, the principles that you used in your coaching and, and life leadership? Well, we used a principle at the University of Virginia that was crafted in my first team meeting when I met my team for the first time. I'd never met them before. And when you're hired as a new coach, it's usually secretive. A search firm is involved and there's some offsite location in some state where you don't live in and that school isn't and you meet and they bring you up through like the service elevator. And, you know, it, it's like a, a spy novel or something. And that, that's how we call bishops in the church as well. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. So that same process. And then what happens is, is you haven't had a chance to go on grounds, check out the campus, see anything in person. And that decision and all that is happening within about a 48 hour period. So it's just super fast. And then you're standing in front of a new team. Yeah. Wow. By choice. Right. So it's, it's not, I'm not trying to present it like it's a penalty. So this is all by choice. And I was standing in front of the kids and this, I'll get back to how this ties to my dad. I was standing in front of the kids at New Mexico, uh, uh, University of Virginia, and they had a hard time making eye contact. They were just defeated and in despair and very little joy or hope. And they were just enduring. And what I had planned to say was not relevant at all. And so I started speaking. And the very first thing that came to my mind is these young men are broken. And Mm -hmm. we're starting from a place of not only deficit, if it was a business, right, it would have been bankrupt and the windows boarded with graffiti and the parking lot has weeds growing through the asphalt and there's Hmm. chain link around it and garbage, you know, it would have been like that. That's kind of like the souls of these kids as I was just looking at them and my heart was breaking. And this is again, first, first meeting, right? This is all happening while I'm speaking. And I'm thinking, this is not about football. This is about building the human spirit of each of these young people and present difficult things, but doable things in a manner that builds capability and changes self-worth. That's like all happening at the same time. And I'm talking, I don't even know what I'm saying, but I'm thinking all that. And I presented this concept that everything in our program will be earned and not given. And so in this world of college football today, and there's the NIL, which is name, image, and likeness, you can receive money besides your scholarship. And the entitlement that comes with that and the six or seven or eight different uniforms and chrome helmets and visors and it's all this stuff and the accolades that come with attention it is really uh, the sandy foundation that we already know what, know what happens if you build on that. And I really wasn't for that. So I was issuing, I'm still getting back to the answer to my dad. So I'm, yeah, I'm you're good. <laughs> I love a good uh, journey. So. Yeah. So I was issuing uh, one pair of white socks to each player, one, no logo, one pair of white shorts, no logo, and one white t-shirt. As if this is, we're starting in the martial arts. This is a yeah. brand new journey. There aren't, 
even though there are historical and residue and things from the past, from this day, you're walking into like a dojo with a clean slate. In our words, repentance, right? You are, yeah. you're white and ready to start anew. And then you would be able to qualify for different colors through your merit and earn different things. But I wasn't going to give anyone anything, but they would earn the chance. And what I knew growing up is my dad, I would help him start the cults. So there'd maybe 10, 12 or 15 per year. And these are cults that are at the end of their first year, they're called long yearlings. And so I'd be, because I was younger, I'd put the first rides on them and take them through an entire year and then pass them off to him for the futurities. And they'd you know, they'd buck and do all the stuff that you'd see on Cowboys days. And, but the way my dad paid me is he would give me the worst one of the string. And so he, let's say he brings in 15 and I would get the one that, that he thought was the worst. And then <laughs> he would ask me, well, then I was responsible for the finances to raise that cult. And then any profit that I could make when I sold it would be my, was my wages. I didn't make money from the fifth grade through my junior year in college. Not once did I, nope. did I, was I in the black? Not, <laughs> not once. So the amount of work that it took was extraordinary. The reward was little monetarily, but I was with my dad every day and he gave me opportunity is what he gave me. What I did with the opportunity or the talents was really my choice. And so my dad's influence by not only what he said, but how he raised me, I then just chose to apply in a completely different setting of these kids and put it this way, when they did earn a new level of gear. And so they would have to, there'd be certain weights they'd have to lift and certain speeds they'd have to hit and academic markers and, and character and, so, and community service, like a well-rounded approach to hit the markers. But then there had to be a rite of passage for them to have a state change. So after that, they let's say they'd have to put on a, a backpack with a 45-pound plate, run to the stadium, do every stadium step. And then the upper left-hand corner, after everything, they'd have their new T-shirt shorts. And we're just talking a T-shirt and shorts, but it was a different color. Yeah. They would hold on to that as if it were the Olympic gold medal. And oh, wow. we would tears. And, and if there was two of them that qualified together, they'd be hugging and and those memories of them qualifying for and earning something, the material part just became the symbol. It wasn't the real value. And the outside world is saying the material things are the most valuable and the wealth is the most valuable. And I was saying just the opposite. That's not what's lasting. What's lasting is the journey to become and who you do it with and what you qualify for. And so my dad, through being with him, which was the great way of growing up in an agricultural background from fifth grade on. I was with him every day. He's my best friend. And I never saw a decision he made or an action he took I was, that I was disappointed with. I was just like, oh, that's how you do that. In almost yeah. every case, I could say, oh, okay, that's how you do that. And the, the standard he set was really high. So he was teaching me without it coming directly from words to me. We rarely talked about leadership. I just watched and at one point, this is the last point in answering this story. I've used the whole podcast on one question. <laughs> so good. there was a, a horse buyer that came in and we were instructed. It was kind of expectations. My cousin, his name is Buck and his dad was Bob. That was my dad's brother. My dad's name was Paul. But there was, there was kind of an expectation that you kind of ran in between horses when you go to get one, go to get to another. And you were expected to hustle. I don't even know how that started, but that was the expectation. And anyway, I came back. And I, I overheard this buyer talking to my dad or this client. 
And he goes, man, you have quite an operation here. And so my dad and my uncle are, are talking about the breeding of the horses and the legacy and the different earnings. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm talking about a boy operation. So this, <laughs> you're just raising horses so you can develop great boys. And that's always stuck with me. And I've always viewed the platform of football as just a really cool way to develop young people. Other yeah. than that, it's just a game. And it's just, as you said, an outlet for people to break up their week in the fall and go cheer <laughs> and get together and have fun. But really, if that's all it is, that has value. But if it's really helping young people become and learn and then contribute in really a positive way toward something really meaningful, that's valuable. And I'd say without, maybe intentionally, but that's what I took away from just kind of how I was raised. Yeah. You know, I'll be honest, I, I get a lot of, you know, emails and hear from different people as I have conversations like this about leadership. And, and when you talk about developing young men or men in general, you know, we have this tradition of elder scorn. And I would imagine if I was to survey the vast majority of elder scorn presidents, they're really discouraged because they would love to articulate or formulate that type of experience, right? Where this isn't just a place we show up because you know, that your, your wife has the keys to the, the minivan and you can't go home anyways, or, or, you know, but this is hopefully a, a place and a quorum. that's not just there to meet and, you know, talks or whatever, but this is a place where we can develop people. What advice would you give to maybe an elders quorum president who wants to establish that type of feeling in their quorum? Well, what a challenge. First of all, I know exactly what you're talking about. And within life, as you talked about earlier, unfortunately, somewhere along the line, elders quorum or attending elders quorum in relation to what's really important. I'm not saying kind of important, but what's relative to being really important that truly can make a difference in not only your own life and personal progression, but helping someone else, I would say collectively, that's not happening at the level that we would all hope. Mm -hmm. And so if you're leading a quorum like that, and I'm lucky because I have motivated learners, the young people are usually leaning forward and their knees are bouncing up and down and they want to listen and learn and absorb so they can play, right? So they can get on the field. Mm -hmm. And because they want that so bad, I actually have leverage to teach all this other cool stuff. And if I see growth in that, then they can play. And sometimes their playing isn't based solely on their ability. Sometimes it's based on if I see improvement in these other areas. And so I have leverage. Interestingly enough, if you put the end in mind and then you say for those attending the elders quorum, yeah, what if they're not as motivated of learners? Or what if those, that motivation is varied all throughout the quorum? Then what structure is put in place? And so if leadership truly is helping to capture the hearts and minds of people, right? And if the best leaders have this unique combination of humility, but also will, then there has to be Besides the lesson, there has to be a connection amongst people of true love and true caring that's undeniable. And without that, the chance to unify and become, I think, is either limited or non-existent. So this idea, if, if we talk now back to what you asked me, mm -hmm. our Savior loved us and loves us in a way that is almost unfathomable. What he did for us, what he does for us. And we're asked to love others, our neighbors, similarly. Yeah. Wow, what a daunting standard, but what an amazing standard to reach for. And in those quorums, modeled by the quorum president, right, and his counselors, or 
a kind word and a sincere and genuine excitement to see someone that's there and to know them and to be able to have a conversation of what's really going on in their life and for it to matter. Not just the, and without the relationships, I don't think a culture of excellence is possible. So I think the foundational element of a vibrant and amazing culture is rooted in relationships. And that will only happen if it's absolutely a safe place to be. And so those leaders have to model vulnerability. They have to model empathy and compassion. They have to then work to demonstrate that they aren't just words, but they are interested. And over time, right, one by one, one by one, the quorum will be built and the time will be slower and longer than probably anyone wants. But there will be a tipping point somewhere where then someone else is doing that besides the leadership. Wait, and then someone else is doing it besides the leadership. And then there's someone else doing it. And that net then is starting to be cast genuinely, sincerely, authentically, and meaningfully with people truly partnering, connecting on the greatest work, well, the work that we're doing while we're on the planet, right? Yeah. And yeah. for one person to do it, one person can start it. In the research on, on culture building and organizations, 5 to 15% is all it takes. So the right people, so if it's, so if it's 100, right, what's 5 to yeah. 15%? So that's 5 or 15 yeah. people the right uh-huh. people. And so there's hope. There's absolutely hope. And if if you think about the original quorum of the 12, that's 12 versus the planet. You know, yeah. <laughs> right? So yeah. can it be done? Totally. Will it require almost everything? Probably. But that requirement can be viewed as a sacrifice or it can be viewed as an opportunity. And somewhere in there, there'll be a transformation that happens. Right now, our biggest work is having elders quorum shift from being maybe a requirement or sacrifice to attend rather than opportunity to become and to help someone else. And we're trying to become like our savior, right? We're, we're trying. And so I would, you know, I would envision a day like most elders quorum presidents where the quorum is leaning forward and their knees are bouncing up and down and they're already read the lesson and, you know, they're ready to help. And it's totally possible to give up on that would be not acceptable. Yeah. We're only going to get there through the individual care of one another. And that is a simple answer to a really complicated question. However, I think it's the way. Yeah. Yeah. So just to clarify that, that five to 15% that you're saying that the research shows that if we can engage and sort of convert that five to 15% of the group to this new cultural movement, it's going to spread and succeed. It's exactly the way it happens. And it's happened on my team's I've watched it over and over. It's why I'm so intentional about the selection of leadership and quite frankly, the tryouts of, so when, when recruits come to Virginia, for instance, when, when they would show up, I'd have them drop their bags off at the hotel. And then immediately they were on, I lived on 30 acres and my kids and I are into team roping and horses. And, and so I'd have them on horseback and it was mandatory. They could not get into our program without getting on. And I would simply watch how they took on something new. I'd watch their parents and some would try to coach over me, their kids and other moms. Some moms would try to, you know, have a waiver signed or the dads were, you know, acting. Anyway, I could see a family dynamic happening, playing right out in front of me. And then I I would instruct the young men on on how to ride. Basically, there's a a trail cut around the property. Then I would just take them two by two, myself and them, two by two. And that's not an accident. The two came from missionary companionships, right? (laughs) And so I would take them, not one by one, because it took too much time, but two by two is what I would do. 
And so I was just selecting and assessing on basically a very transparent activity that showed me everything. So in dating, right, a movie does nothing. You're not even talking, right? And so I was trying to have things that would truly uncover who someone really was so then I could get to know them and then know how to help them. Anyway, after that an hour period, and then I'd just pay attention when they got off, were they scratching the ears of the horse? Would they just drop the reins and walk off? Would they want to just linger for a minute? And then I was picking who I wanted to be with. So my point is, back to the elders quorum, the activities, number one, to be done, I think have to be really well thought of in terms of what's the intent, and it could be service, but the transparency or what you can learn about people and uncover kind of the sense and the state of their heart, that's also a great way to have an activity. And the leaders are looking not only to get the job done, they're looking to how it's being done and by whom, and then they could kind of tell who and where where their quorum is. And for those that didn't attend, there's already feedback, right? There's already an assignment. There's already something to do. And so I think by life activities or assigned activities within the church, besides the job to get done to me, who people become, but also to to have them declare where they are. If you pay attention, you can get a great sense of that as well. And that five to 15%, I was constantly, so I, I would say out loud to my team, Um, What's my job? And they would say to create challenges for us. The challenges were to provide growth, right? And Mm -hmm. so each simple success was this giant celebration. And I was just paying attention. And those five to 15% that were most prepared, I needed help, right? Besides myself and my coaching staff, they then at a whole different level, grassroots, boots on the ground, there was arms around players. There was rides being given. There was dinners together in the training table. There was weight training groups that were reconstructed and that five to 15% transformed an entire organization or organizations. And mm-hmm. that's what the research has shown. And that's how I implemented it within the programs that I've coached. Not perfectly, didn't guarantee perfect results, but the cultures were amazingly strong based on a guiding principle of, in our faith, right? It is eternal families. The words I used in Virginia was was family first, last, and always. So I used all of the church principles that I knew and believed in. I just changed the words to make sure I was safe within separation of church and state. (laughs) Um, But they were the exact same words. And that's where the cultures were built. And the young people love those. And the 5 to 15% were selected intentionally through really well-crafted activities to show transparently who everyone was. And then I could work on the structure from there. Wow, that's so insightful. And one thing that I'm learning from this is this this disruptive nature that you invited them into. Like, you know, you talk about the white t-shirt and white shorts or whatever, and 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 then running. Like there's something disruptive about that, or a new recruit coming, and then they think, Oh, let's start with the top of the line practice facility. Let's give that a tour. No, 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 no. You're gonna get on a horse. And that's yeah. like and so I'm just thinking like for an elders corn president out there or a relief society president who's just like really struggling with why can't I get things going? We can't just walk in on Sunday and teach the lesson a little bit differently and see if that works. Maybe take them to the the, the horseback riding facility or whatever, right? So here, here's the cool thing about that. And I've learned this also, right? There are certain things that facilitate long-term memory, right? And a significant emotional experience is one of those. Mm-hmm. Most of us know where we were for those that haven't had a first kiss yet, but most of us know where that happened, right? Yes, well, I, I do remember that. Yeah, or most of us know where we proposed, right? Most uh-huh. of us know, right? There are certain events that we go right there. I love your idea. What if, right, you show up to the typical circle with the lesson plan and all that, and we're not having lessons here today. We're going here. 
right? Just a change heightens this, wait, this is important. Wait, wait, what is this? And there now starts to be a different level of processing because it's important. And that doesn't mean different for the sake of being different. That means based on prayer and thought and contemplation and promptings, what the people and the quorum needs, and then courage and faith to act. Let me give you one more story, and maybe this will validate it. When I became the head coach at BYU, I had a really clear prompting. I wasn't as strong yet then as saying, answering out loud, saying, okay, I will, right? I've grown <laughs> into this. So I had this prompting early on that I would, we're supposed to have firesides the night before a game. And the program had three losing seasons. I'm a brand new head coach. And I wasn't, not many people were crazy about that idea. And we had lost our opener. Guy got booed in our home opener against Boston College because I chose the pun on fourth down late in the game. And I, so I remember that. That's a significant <laughs> That's emotional. That's my next question, Bronco. No, yeah, anyway, <laughs> so we get to this point and I, I'm then having this thought we need to have firesides. And I could just see when I said that out loud, people were like, what? You know, we're trying to win a football game. I'm at BYU, yeah. first of all. And it's like, what? And But I, it was clear to me that's what I was supposed to do. And we're getting ready to play San Diego State. And we go down there and, and I ask some of our administration to see if they're interested. And they say, nobody will come. They were too busy. They got high school games, whatever. And so my fault was I took no for an answer. And so we lose to San Diego State. It's early on in my tenure. And I'm not saying that's the reason we lost. I'm just kind of doing the backstory. Yeah, sure. But I made my decision on the bus ride to the airport on the way back is I, I'm not, I don't care if anybody comes. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And I had plenty of people that didn't like the decision. So anyway, we go to New Mexico, we have a fireside, 14 people come. Oh, wow. And it was the happiest that I'd been as a football coach. There's 14 people. Uh, Some of my own team came and then there's 14 people. But the peace, going back to the elders quorum or Relief Society president, right? The peace that came by making a decision that was so unpopular or daunting, but knowing it was the right thing and doing it anyway, it was declarative. And from that point on, thousands, especially for the away games, would come just so thankful to have a connection with uh, in the mission field, right, with young men and members of the church around some cool cause, right, Other rather than an elder squirm lesson or rather than maybe what's typical, not downplaying the lessons, right? But here's this other thing that's a chance to build people. And then they started, it was an easy thing to invite people too, right? That might yeah. not have maybe needed a little more boost, right? And they were excited to come and then neighbors were coming. And, and so it just became this thing, but tracing it back, that all came from someone saying no and me saying, okay, to then saying, no, we're going to do it no matter if nobody comes. And started with 14 And then in-state for those games, the local population wasn't that excited about firesides before home games at BYU. So we started going to the prisons. And Mm -hmm. my coolest experiences as BYU's coach were the firesides, home and away. But I didn't know at the prison, man, what I feel the spirit, like what same kind of prompting. And wow, I walked in the first one and there was all these men's choir, prison choir, in jumpsuits, white jumpsuits, but there are numbers here, right? And I was just like, we're going through the gates and behind the yellow line away or next to the wall. And the spirit just washed over me. And I was just like, yeah, this is, and those men were so hungry to learn and so humbled and eager to connect. And so they had a felt need. And so I guess my point, take all those experiences back to what, when you said, yeah, maybe they show up for the elders quorum and there's, it's somewhere else, or there's, it's being done in some other way that's in alignment with the doctrine, but it's 
Right, there's yeah. something that has been prayed over and thought about, and it makes a difference. That's the courage and faith of a leader to do that. And so those couple experiences I just shared, I think, are how you kind of capture, invite and capture the spirit and heart and mind of an organization to then give you kind of an inroad to truly connect empathy-wise and caring-wise for each individual. Uh, that's so helpful. Talk to me about the, you know, you walk into a new program like you, you've articulated and these stories you've shared, and you've mentioned this principle of personal relationships, you know, that that stimulates good culture and the 5 to 15% is helpful. How do you begin to develop personal relationships with each individual when, the, I mean, the, the roster so long and not including the staff and everybody involved? Like, how do you begin doing that as the leader of the organization? Yeah, it's a great question. And so there's a, a couple of different ways. First of all, clarity on your intent, meaning what's the end goal, right? With the end in mind, I've said that before and working backwards. And I'm going to jump forward. I'm going to fast forward a little bit before we go back to your question. What I've learned in my pause here, and I've shared this a couple times now on different podcasts, it's been really interesting to see who's reached out. If you just put my role as the head coach, right? Who reached out to the head coach in this pause? Very few administrators that I've worked with, very few boosters or corporate people. Mm -hmm. Some fans, but the majority, almost exclusively of those that have reached out and the hundreds and hundreds that have done so are former players, right? The kids that actually were in the program. And so maybe that's not the striking part or the intriguing part. The intriguing part is what have they said? And there has not yet, this is as of the recording today, I haven't yet had anyone mention of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of texts that have come in from former players, not one yet has mentioned a game. Not one has mentioned outcome. Not one has mentioned a season. Not one has mentioned a ranking. They've all mentioned a personal experience or gratitude through doing something t- difficult or challenging or a, a funny moment at practice or me falling on the ice and my clipboard going up or you know something that happened <laughs> yeah. along the way. That's what they remember. And so now if you think back to, okay, we already know the bottom line is the bottom line. That has to happen, right? Everyone gets that. So in addition to that, where is the real value going to be added? Well, the feedback I've gotten is the real values and the relationships, right? That's what's the lasting part. So it started back to maybe how you might construct it with what would that intent be? And if the intent is to help young people or my quorum or anyone else grow and develop and help them along their way to returning to their father in heaven, if that's the motive, which it is, if that's the motive, then how am I going to do that? Well, first of all is where are they? And man, things move fast in college football. So it starts with one-on-ones, just right when you take over and meeting with each player. And might be like a new mission president. They're not long. It might be 15 minutes and you have specific questions. You're just trying to get where on the, on the graph do I start this dot? And you don't have much time. And so you start with one-on-ones. And those are scheduled probably quarterly, right? That's at least in college football. That's about as much. But then what I started to do is then where are the, the young men where do they congregate? Where are they? And so off the practice field, so if the doors to the, the locker room were here, there were benches on each side. Mm-hmm. And I, I called this on my in my schedule office hours. But I would just sit on the bench right next to the door after practice. So every player ha- had to walk by me. Right. That's the only way you get in is because I was already there. And I was just sitting there with my taking my cleats off and just sitting, you know, and just saying greetings and and making conversation. And it's amazing how many of these young people would then, some would just kind of act like they were going in and I'd watch them kind of pull off to the side and they would act like they're taking off their cleats or whatever. 
it would take them like a half hour and they'd wait till everyone goes in and then you come sit down. And because I was available, uh, uh-huh. others would, as they're going right in, they would just sit down and put their arm around me and we'd visit for a second. So making yourself available so you'd make the hard things easy. They have a lot going on, right? Class and practice and social life and papers and et cetera. What if we made the relationship part easier where we were going to them rather than them having to schedule a time through the secretary and go up the stairs and, you know, coordinate and do it. What if I'm right in the way, you know, they, they have to go spend more energy to go around to get inside to build a relationship than just take their normal path. So I tried as a leader, I tried to intentionally place myself right in their way mm-hmm. in a completely safe, welcoming, nurturing environment. And so in, in the book, Teach for America, or excuse me, and Teaching as Leadership, it talks about these young teachers going in and the ones that are having success, they never compromise their standards within the practice or within the classroom. But there's this fierce outpouring of love above and beyond before school and after school. And I read that and I was like, yeah, okay. So wow. on the way, the team meetings are early and I'd always be walking out to the, the team meeting with someone, right? I wouldn't walk by myself. I'd wait to see a group of kids coming and I'd, you know, almost like jump rope when you're waiting for the rope to go around and you jump in. I just kind of be waiting to go to the team meeting. Oh, here they come. And this, this group. And I try to pick a different group each day I'd walk out with and just visit. So I'm trying to make it as safe, as intentional, and quite frankly, authentic to where they knew that I cared. And I was getting to know them because of those moments that were real and safe and non-structured. And amazingly enough, besides the structured, the unstructured were making the difficult easy. I was the one responsible for making it easy. Put myself in a position where they didn't have to do much other than just be safe and visit. And and we got to know each other over time. So that um, that would be my counsel. Yeah. And there, you know, the old cliche of, of having an open door policy, that's just not good enough to just tell everybody, you can come talk to me anytime. You have to make yourself easily to contact. Because what if the CEO's door, right, is the corner office on the third floor? Yeah. Yeah. It, the door is open, but that takes effort and intent for someone to go to you. A leader that really cares, my door is not only open, but I don't even know. I'm not even in my office. I'm with you right? My office is here, right? My office mm-hmm. is on the field. My office is wherever you guys are. And the open door policy, it sounds good. It does very little. Your life as an open door and your time as an open door or your schedule, even though it's set, right? And we talked about that earlier. Sometimes, right? Promptings and things happen where your schedule is abandoned for the sake of a relationship or someone in need. And that's part of what a leader does also. Yeah, I know that's contradictory to my previous comment about structure. You have to have some place <laughs> to launch from. But right. Man, are there deviations necessary at times? Yeah, that's really helpful. You know, we're in this this era in the church, uh, church leaders being, you know, with these ministering interviews that we need to do quarterly, just like you talk about. You have to typically met with your players and, and staff quarterly on that one to one basis. When you sit down with somebody like what tips or advice or. What can you share with us as far as how to best sit down with somebody and connect with them and really understand what's going on and have them walk out feeling like, okay, they know me, love me, and, and I'm willing to follow them? Yeah, there, there's a cool concept. And each one of your questions has me say something before I answer it. And so I'm going to just uh, hey, keep that going. So there's this, cool, there's this cool word called carefrontation. And carefrontation is not confrontation. Carefrontation means that both you and the person you're talking to during a correction, they know you love and care about them 
your relationship is stronger when it's done and behaviors change in a positive direction, right? So they know you care more through the correction than less and you're closer than you were as if you hadn't had the conversation. And yet there was some pretty hard things talked about, but that word care is at the core of all of it, right? Which is really, that's how the savior, he loved us in a manner that was perfect. And so I'm not a fan of the meetings. So the quarterly meetings were early on in the program and they started to go away other than the newer players because the meetings were happening informally mm-hmm. and deeper and more impactful. And then as I start reviewing the roster and kind of contemplating, which I did daily, who haven't I talked to? And rather than scheduling them to come up, I would just wait for them to be on their way to the team meeting. <laughs> or as they were getting ready to come off the practice field, I would just kind of scoot closer to the door and almost just kind of, you know, <laughs> there'd have to be like contact made so we could just visit for a minute. And I found that I learned more in a safer, more pleasant space. And it was more authentic. And as the leader, sometimes people pretend to the leader and their hesitancy and anxiety to share yeah, I'm good. You know, and they don't go quite to where reality really is. And you can't serve someone if you can't really connect and learn where they are. And so I spend a lot more time putting myself intentionally in someone's way than a formal scheduled meeting. While that was necessary to begin to start the Mm -hmm. process, over time, that whole thing diminished in terms of formality and increased in terms of informality. But also, the substance that was gained, man, I found like if it was a well, I would, we were drilling way, way deeper informally than in the structured, but it did start systematically structured, but it then just went the other way. And so my ministering interview from a football coach, it might have been looking at you and giving you the eyebrows, but we knew each other other well. <laughs> we'd do that back and we'd have a fist up in the air and we're, that was my interview. We was like, we're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that's how... We were so well connected that we would know and or he might look back at me and and then I'd say, oh, yeah, and then we go sit down. And so that's and now you're that, sending him cowboy hat emojis, right? <laughs> exactly. I did just happen. I had a conversation with uh, one of my coaches two nights ago and, and uh, we, we had this tradition called Cowboy Thursdays and he's not a member of the church and didn't know anything about animals and livestock. And he spent Thursdays at my house with us connecting. We were on tractors and on horses and doing stuff. We didn't talk about any of that. We were talking about life. And so he sends me cowboy stuff all the time now, emojis, whatever. But that's his way of really saying, I'm thinking about these life lessons that I learned through that. And I'm grateful for that. And then he'll say, coach, you got a minute? And so he's now coming to me. And this is a Mm -hmm. former colleague. I'm not not having to schedule a quarterly interview, right? Those people that I really know are now, the relationship is built where, president, you got a second? Like there, it's going the other way. And yeah. so that's a powerful thing because now you're being viewed in a manner that can truly help and you're being sought after because they know not only can you help, but you, man, you really care about them. Man, trust is built right with time and consistency, but then also capability and then results, right? And man, if yeah. they know that you can help, and you're always going to be there and you really care about them and you just keep that going pretty soon. You're not scheduling interview. They are, which <laughs> in their own way, right? In their own right, way, yeah, yeah. scheduling it. And rather than going in the locker room, they're just kind of coming over to sit down. And wow, that's a lot easier than scheduling. Yeah, I love that. That's so powerful. 
I wanted to, you know, I remember a, a, an interview you did long ago when you were at BYU. Uh, it was, I think it was on KSL and they had had you in your office looking at your bookshelf and you're going through different books that you were reading. And I, and I remember having the thought, this guy's reading the same stuff I'm reading. Like, that's incredible. Are you a, do most college football coaches read as much as you do? Or do you consider yourself a, a big time reader? Yeah, I didn't start that way. I don't think most do. Some certainly do. Uh, mm-hmm. If you were to stereotype and say collectively, I would say no. But if you were to say, are there other individuals? Certainly. Are there other CEOs that do? Yeah, it would be absolutely people read as much as I do. But I think that the way to describe or maybe discern the motive, when you're a new leader, there's things that come across your desk every single day that are first. You've never dealt with that before. Yeah. And you don't even know like where to start. And then your network of people of who to call, like who are the experts in that? I mean, they're... And it just keeps coming as a young leader, right? There's just so many different things happening. So I don't even remember when this interview was that you're talking about, but I do remember the mindset. And so, man, I would start looking up the best books on a given topic that just came up, a situation I didn't know anything about. Hmm. So I try to be an expert on, so it might be depression, right? It might be on finances. At, At BYU, there's young married kids, right? And they're raising kids besides going to school or... It might be on learning foreign languages. So anyway, here comes all these questions from these young people or situations that are happening that I'm not an expert in, but yet they're coming. The relationship was built strong enough where they're coming to get answers. And I was like, oh, I don't have the answer to that. And so my bookshelf was built by topic. You know, I was just, <laughs> I was adding like prescription based, like, oh, here comes, okay, now how to, fa-. so I'm trying to, to basically get my master's degree in life education on this broad range of topics. And then I was looking for white papers and articles. And then some of the authors started reaching out. So then at least I had an expert where a phone call, and that's faster than reading a book. You know, so, I, yeah. so my network started <laughs> to be built. And so now after 17 years, my whole office, it's, it's like a library. And one of the things that I do, and it was really fun at Virginia because the kids there were so strong academically. Let, let's say that you're a player and you came into my office and or you met me out on the field and you said, hey, coach, I got this thing happening. We're walking out or off the practice field and I got this thing. Do you know anything about that? I go, I do. In fact, I've got a couple of books on it. And so they would talk to me out there and then they'd come up to my office and I would go to that section and I would just point to it. And I said, okay, pick anyone. So I'd kind of pull them halfway out, the ones that would relate to the topic they were asking me about. I said, read one of these and then come back and then we'll sit down. So I wouldn't sit down first. I would talk to them and give them some direction then they would have to kind of go up the steps to the library, which is my office, right? And then I would point them in books that had the exact answer they're asking. And so all you have to do is look in here and you'll find it. And then we'll talk about it. And so that's how my lib- how and why my library was built, was started from, I didn't have the answers. I needed to learn the answers to help the people that were asking. And then rather than me just sharing the answer, I wanted them to learn how to find their own answers, which then kind of became the source of them coming to my office and getting books and all that. Hmm, that's fascinating. That's awesome. So if a uh, elder scorn president, or at least a president came to you and said, you know, Bronco, what I'm, I've just started this calling. What are uh, a few books that you would recommend that maybe you'd slide out uh, halfway on that shelf? Oh man, that's a tough one. <laughs> that, that, and of that's course, we, we always got a default to the scriptures. I mean, that's a good yeah. place to start, right? But uh, other than that. <laughs> that is amazing in terms of taking that broad a topic and narrowing it down. So there was a book I read early on that had a huge impact. So I'm just going to name two, yeah, knowing no I could probably name 20. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not sure even like 
what order to put these in, but I'm going to just say a couple that got my attention early on. One was called Leadership and Self-Deception. Mm-hmm. And awesome. wow, that that just kind of laid me wide open as to, am I even telling the truth to myself? You know, and, and what's my motive and how much do I really care about what other people think? And yeah. I learned that a lot in the coaching profession. You know, I would try to say what people say don't matter with the media and that whole idea about sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. That's complete garbage. <laughs> names hurt. Like what yeah. people say hurt. And so yeah. to just to tell one of your kids to have thick skin or toughen up, you know, there's a better way. So anyway, the leadership and then self-deception is, I really like that one. And then there's another book right at the very beginning that I read. And so probably because it was so impactful of when I read it, but it was called Good to Great. And Good mm-hmm. to Great is a business book. But if you just think about the concept, there are so many good people in the world. So many. I mean, just so many. And then to become great is like, there's another level there that takes intentionality and it's totally possible. That's the thing. And I think many of us that at times are good who want to be great, there's a message of possibility in there and then a how-to, which even though it's not necessarily doctrinal related, right? It's business and structure related, which uh, I think is super helpful. And those two, I would say in terms of timing and impact, which were way, way 17 years ago, right at the beginning. And so you asked me about a new president, right? I'm going to just kind of defer to those because they were two of my first ones as I was a new leader, Mm -hmm. not the best or maybe the best by certain criteria, but impactful to me. So I'm sharing them based on impact they had to me 17 years ago in that position (laughs) that whether it still holds or not, you know, that's at least those are two recognitions. Yeah. And and I I could back those as well. I've read both of them and leadership and self-deception. That's one I try and visit at least every one or two years. I mean, every time I read, I thought, man, this is, I got to get back to this more often. It is so impactful. So that therein lies one of the biggest challenges I have is there's always this pull for me to read new books. Yeah. And then I look at my library and I have them again by topic, but then I have another shelf by impact. Oh, wow. and, and to make that shelf, that's like, you know, the scriptures are there, but then to be on that shelf. And many times I just don't read a new one. I go back and reread one of those, yeah. like you're saying, because there's just something new every time or right. The role of a leader, it changes yearly, but it also changes over time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even though you're in the same position, you're doing new work because your organization or the people are at a different place. And so it's required new growth. And sometimes as part in a book that didn't quite seem relevant is now all of a sudden, wait, how did I miss that? Because you're now at a new place. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. And we wouldn't be disappointed if you send us a snapshot of that, uh, the impact show. I'm just saying, all right, I'll see if I can get it out of you. But well, Bronco, this has been so insightful. I so much appreciate just you being so open and and sharing these stories and perspectives and whatnot. I do want to uh, make sure we spend some time on uh, that you got in the the podcast game. I think if a, if a guy goes long enough without a job, he starts a podcast. I don't know why that's in our nature, but tell us about the podcast you started. Yeah. So the podcast, it's called Head Coach University. So I was doing consulting work, helping other leaders. So when I, when I paused, other head coaches at the division one level all of a sudden started calling because I was, it was safe. Now there was like a no compete clause. Cause I wasn't competing. <laughs> and they wanted to share yeah. ideas and, and let's face it. Leadership is really lonely and leadership yeah. is very isolated and who really can you talk to that understands. And I found myself in a really unique space 
where other leaders that I'd respected were calling and saying, hey, could I come visit? Meaning come out to the ranch in Virginia and and visit? Or would you mind coming by our program? I'd love to sit down and talk with you and then have you watch us for a few days and give me your thoughts. And so that was happening at the NFL and college level. And so I was doing that and I was realizing it's taking a lot of time and energy and effort. And it's really rewarding because it was one-on-one, right? Like we talked about earlier. But then it was like, wait a second, how could more people possibly hearing, or maybe there's some information that I have over all this time that I could share that might be helpful to more leaders slash coaches. And so I was approached then by an organization and they had a podcast already existing and they were going to basically have me as a guest. And we started talking like you and I are uh, just by the phone on phone. And they said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, would you do this as a, what about, what about if we did this as a series? Okay. And I was like, oh yeah, so that, that could be good because it was kind of addressing what I was just wrestling with of scope and scale. And now here came this opportunity of I was going to be a guest and then it was now, wait, now it's going to be a show. And so I've just got to the phase now after I think four episodes by myself of just kind of sharing some of my takeaways, like you're asking me, that I'm starting to have guests, which is so fun. And so I've had Chris Peterson on, who used to be the head coach at Boise, and he and I are really good friends. And then Dave Clausen at Wake Forest. Like I have people on that care more about, they care a lot about football and they're very good at it, but they're also, there's other substantial things and qualities that are really powerful. And so my next guest will be Blake Anderson. He's the coach at Utah State. And wow, some so some amazing, challenging things. His wife passed away a few years ago, and then he's had a son that just passed away through suicide uh, yeah. recently. And I had a boy that played football at Utah State, and I also coached with Blake at University of Mexico, so we've known him for a long time. And so now I get a chance to have him on and talk about so many people see the professional or see the, the college football world as entertainment, right? And you see it on Sunday or Saturdays, or you see the NFL on Sundays if people watch on Sunday. But there's a toll for anyone that's competing and performing under pressure. And when I was at the University of Virginia, the mental health component, there are 750 student athletes, if I remember correctly. So I'm going to give kind of rough numbers rounded up okay. or down. I think it was 750, but over half were seeing our sports psychologists. We had two. Wow. And so that means they're wrestling with some kind of anxiety or some kind of something that is coming from this position they're in of visibility and performance and et cetera. And I think I'm safe sharing those rough numbers, but I guess my point is these kids, they need a safe place and capable people to talk through some of these issues with. And so anyway, on this podcast, that's how it started. But now I kind of get to invite guests that have much like the the books that I've read that address concerns or issues that I've seen with the sport that hopefully can continue to educate and help others as they listen that way, which I figured if there's a pause, why not contribute some way to the knowledge bank or experiential bank Mm -hmm. of other leaders and maybe on a little bit broader platform, knowing I'm still doing the one-on-ones, but it gives me a chance to maybe add value in a little bit broader perspective. Yeah, I, I've I listened to every episode, really enjoyed it. And uh, just like with Leading Saints, we talk about leadership in the context of the church. You're talking about a lot of leadership in the context of college football, right? And uh, so people are going to learn from it just the same. It is. And, and I, I view football as just an amazing platform to teach leadership from. And obviously within the church, we're, we're talking so much about eternal principles. But the church also provides an amazing platform and support and doctrine for people to learn and grow. And so kind of my approach because my faith is so important, my approach to coaching football, I can't say is separate from my belief 
right? I right. can't, I don't feel good about that. It has to be an, an extension of, and then I feel authentic and sincere. And going back to leadership and self-deception, wow, the energy and time to pretend as a leader for the sake of appearance. Yeah. If I could caution anyone, and as the elders quorum president, he hasn't been booed in front of 65,000, right? <laughs> I mean, he's going to make a million mistakes. And I love just claiming them, right? Just saying them out loud. Yep, I totally screwed that up. And I'm going to keep learning. and I'm going to keep trying. I apologize to all of you. And my intent was good. I just messed that up. And so I just wanted to say that and then we can move on. And it's just way better. Just Mm -hmm. name it, call it, own it and go forward. And that actually brings people closer to you rather than not when you just when you're fallible. Yeah. I definitely encourage people to check it out. It's called Head Coach You with the, and look for the red horseshoe, right? That's uh, that's your brand, right? <laughs> so, so that's in the logo. It's a, it's a really a great work. I'm excited to hear future episodes. Bronco, I appreciate you answering my impossible questions, but that so much knowledge and wisdom's come from it. It's been really good. Uh, the last question I have for you is... Oh, I feel like I should like put on a seatbelt or something now. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're going to like this one. It, it's impossible, but here we go. Uh, last question I have for you is, as you reflect on your time as a head coach or as a leader, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Oh, wow. We should have just had the whole podcast on that one. That, hey, that, I've got another hour if you want to go. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> what a great question. I have understood that leadership is really hard, and I've understood that leadership is really lonely. And I've understood that leadership is really isolated. I've experienced those things with all the great joys that come with being a leader as well. And it's helped me understand in a micro segment of our Savior's suffering for us and how isolated. And I don't even know if, if lonely is the right word. But when I think about the Garden of Gethsemane, when I think about the cross, when I think about the culmination of his earthly life before rising again, right? When I think about that window of time, I want to be a follower that's there. And so like, if I'd be a great assistant coach now because um, I know what the leadership looks like and I know what that experience is like. And I would want to add value. I would want to alleviate some of that burden. I'd want to have some of that offloaded. I'd want to carry something, give me something to carry. I'd want to do that. And so if you put it in a gospel context, I would somehow like to offload some of that burden right? I would like to be one of those five or 15% to in Big Fork, Montana, which I am. And now I'm in the young men's. I just got called. So I like two weeks oh, cool. ago. And so <laughs> we're, we're chainsawing wood last night and I'm with young guys. And it's just like, this is so cool. And if that offloads, yeah, I, I'm there. I, I want to be one of those now in terms of followership. I want to be reliable for no other reason than to help, right? Help the leader and the purpose and the work so others can become That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Hey, listen, would you do me a favor? You know, everybody's got that friend who listens to a ton of podcasts, and maybe they aren't aware of Leading Saints. So would you mind taking the link of this episode or another episode of Leading Saints and just texting it to that friend? You know who I'm talking about, the friend who always listens to podcasts and is always telling you about different podcasts. Well, it's your turn to tell that friend about Leading Saints. So share it. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any perspective or thought on this episode, you can go to leadingsaints.org and actually leave a comment on the episode page or reach out to us at leadingsaints.org contact. And remember, go to leadingsaints.org 14 
to access our full Young Saints virtual library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.